Hey, we actually didn't mention this on the episode you're about to listen to, but when you're done with this episode of Try Love, you should go listen to another movie podcast. Specifically, Harry was on Film Trace, a wonderful podcast by former Try Love guest Chris Polly. Harry's episode is a Wes Anderson doubleheader where they talk about the French Dispatch and the Royal Tenenbaums, which is one of Harry's favorites. It really is a uh, delightful discussion, and you can tell that they all have a really great handle on the discussion and uh, deep respect for those movies, even if their opinions vary. Uh, anyway, there's a link to that episode in this episode's show notes, and you can also find Film Trace wherever you get your podcasts. And now on with this episode of Trilof. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm-mm-mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. This I don't stop. think that recording will stop it one yeah, day. You want to I, stop talking I, about I, would. I feel like the fact that we haven't talked about the good morning please on podcast please surprising Uh, honestly i mean how many how many episodes have we been doing we never brought it up we are professional (laughs) jason i am getting uh i do gotta say and i got this last time we were recording uh i am getting i think a bit of my maybe i'm too loud should i you're pretty loud loud? in post i end up evening us out but you're pretty loud yeah Yeah. every once in a while and i'm sure you fix it in post but every once in a while i do get i was getting this especially last the possession episode but i was getting myself through your microphone while i was talking which oh. i learned to deal with but yeah it was, I'm, try- I'm trying to fix that maybe I, I need to i set my headphones uh, it was recording from my headphones rather than from my mic before so mm-hmm. hopefully that's hopefully that's not doing Maybe it this birthday's time. coming up maybe i get you some big cans i got some big yeah. cans oh headphones oh headphones yes. right i was confused well too. you have you have big headphones though don't you yeah yeah okay. i've got a couple pairs i'm good well, I'm i appreciate it though. though okay I can send you a birthday list if you want. That yeah. feels. You can't do that. No. That's you can't do oh, that. Jesus, your you birthday's can't. coming up. It, it make, is. Make it's like it two weeks, you. dude. Make it easy for you. My birthday's in two weeks, and this is Try Love. You can't a literal, send a birthday literal list. Literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw. Or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org, where you can get tickets and other cool things. All things Trilon at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. I feel as though I'm the only human being left in Minneapolis. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I fall asleep at concerts myself. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. In my case, self-absorption is completely justified. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron, and yesterday morning after Laura's body was found, I was questioned by Sergeants McEvity and Schultz. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Very subtle. Uh, today's episode is on a film playing as part of the Trilons January 2022 film series, Murder, She Wrote, that is featuring, excuse me, movies written by or adapted from works written by women. And guys, can we just get a quick round of applause for women? Guys, turn on your mics and we'll just... Women authors, I think. Women. I don't know if I want to go along with this just bit. Women. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so yeah. much. Love, Ow. Love their work. Uh, head, head to trilon.org to beep the rest of the schedule, um, but I'll let Aaron take it away from me now. Yes, uh, we are talking about Laura, a 1944 film, sorry, uh, directed by Otto Preminger. Uh, I guess tying it into what Jason was just talking about, it is based on a 
1943 novel of the same name by Vera Caspery. Uh, she was a uh, an author who wrote a lot of mysteries and and kind of noir and and, and whatnot. Uh, her her books are kind of marked by having uh, uh, strong, well written female characters. Maybe not uh, a strong in kind of a conventional sense, but often ones that kind of bucked a lot of trends of the times of, of women being damsels in distress and needing to be rescued and whatnot. And that that is shown uh, in in the book and this film as well. Uh, starring Jean Tierney and Dana Andrews, uh, Laura is a, a perfect example of how the perceptions people make about the correlation between first name and gender change over many decades. Uh, Tierney plays the titular Laura, a woman who is brutally murdered by a shotgun blast to the face uh, at the entrance to her New York City apartment. Investigating her gruesome murder is Detective Mark McPherson, played by Andrews, uh, who begins to go one by one, questioning the important people in Laura's life uh, to find her murderer. Uh, among them are, uh, for example, uh, Waldo Lidecker, who is played here by Clifton Webb. Uh, he is an upper-class newspaper columnist whose controlling nature and snooty behavior uh, immediately begets distrust, uh, but whose wealth, especially in the year of 1944, uh, serves to display the manner in which America let down the members of its fourth estate in the second half of the 20th century. Uh, also is Shelby Carpenter, Ooh. Vincent Price. Uh, very young Vincent Price. I got roasted in the group chat for not noticing this was Vincent Price. It's uh, it's like the first name that comes up, rightly so, when the credits start, and it's Vincent well, Price. I missed, I missed that. It's fucking Vincent Price. Like, there's no way he sounds like real life Squidward. There's no way that you forget that voice or that face, and you forgot fucking both for the duration v- of an eighty eight movie. Now you're gonna pay the price, Buster. The, the, hey. Yeah, I, I was definitely getting roasted. I, the, the thing is that Vincent Price does not exist as a. Uh, as a young man for like Vincent Price is all he's between 50 and 70 years old constantly. And any sort of young Vincent Price does not, I think register for me personally, but uh, also okay he doesn't have that, a mustache. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he plays uh, Laura's fiance. Uh, he's what Wikipedia describes as a kept man, which was not a phrase that I was aware of. Uh, uh, it means a man who's supported financially by a female lover. Uh, in this case, the female lover is Laura's aunt. There's a weird kind of love triangle going on here. Uh, Laura was successful on release. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, winning Best Black and White Cinematography. Uh, Over the years, Laura has been considered a foundational work of film noir, helping to establish alongside the same year's double indemnity, many of the themes and common visual elements of the genre. Jason, uh, what did you think of the film? So I uh, famously like plot detail. Oh, thank you, Aaron, first for that wonderful summary. But plot details of noirs and more generally whodunits tend to just pass me by a lot. I pay attention, but things move a little, I don't know, a little convoluted for me. And the end result is sort of they put you in an emotional place, right? And sort of understanding how characters move rather than what actually happens sometimes. Sometimes in the case of like Double Indemnity or Detour or a lot of Hitchcock, it's just not going to end up being like, what you thought it was anyway. So why really pay attention to the plot? But in the case of Laura in particular, I was concerned more with how effectively it executed that central idea rather than what pieces of the plot were happening. You know, why she lied about the radio being broken in the cabin or whose shotgun was like those things tend to mull in my mind when I remember movies like this. Um, But the central idea being, you know, what if the person whose death you're so fascinated with isn't, you know, actually dead was, I think, effective. I've never actually seen this movie. This sidebar, this was actually, my, I think, my first Preminger movie. I don't think I've seen anything else by him. Um, but it feels uh, like that 
central concept feels a little bit, and maybe I'm reading too far into it, like um, like manifesting the audience on screen, like that whole way that a lot of uh, uh, true crime has been discussed and a lot of discourse around true crime podcasts and fiction and stuff being um, being bandied about in the last five or 10 years uh, with respect to you know how much are you asked to feel for a character uh, while accepting that the only reason you're actually watching or paying attention to the thing is out of a lurid fascination with what happened to them, some horrible circumstance of getting shotgun blasted to the face. Um, as the movie goes on, it gives way to like a fascination with the person herself uh, Laura and like an infatuation. And I think that I think you could build a reading. I don't know if I'm the person too. I think you could build a reading that is like more indicting of the audience in that. Um, and I think that's like more of the interesting space that this movie plays in, uh, to me anyway. And, uh, we'll see if I, we can actually come up with anything to support that or if it's totally off the wall. Um, but, uh, it doesn't like, I don't know that it ever comes around to that fully, but I think that the best argument I have for that take, um, is that Waldo, uh, like as a character is sort of like that audience stand in almost being that he's like very protective of the victim. I mean, ultimately spoiler alert, he ends up being the perpetrator of the crime. He's very protective of the victim. He's very uh, interested in the lurid details of all of what, what went, what went on. Um, and yet he's like somehow aloof detached at the very beginning. He plays a lot of like bandying with the detective rather than just helping her, helping him find out what happened to Laura, that kind of thing. Uh, he's objective. He's, you know, convincing himself that, or excuse me, he's either objective or he's convincing himself that he can be objective. It's all, you know, ends up to be a ruse, but I think for the majority of the movie, he is sort of like the lens through which we're seeing the movie, the lens through which we're judging a lot of the other characters like Shelby and, and Treadwell, et cetera. Um, he is sidebar again, far more interesting, I think, than the detective character, maybe by design, uh, McPherson. I didn't really find him way too, uh, you know, compelling or attractive. Um, uh, instead the story like ends up following from that twist and from those multiple twists that go on throughout the, you know, the last half of the film ends up being more of a straight laced whodunit. And that's why maybe some of that stuff muds for me a little bit is that I don't really like I'm engaged when it's happening, but I forget almost everything that's happened as soon as it's happened on screen. Um, it doesn't abandon all hope of being like a more interesting movie there. In my opinion, uh, like it does, it's still about a bunch of men and women. And this is like the core, I think something that we're probably all going to end up touching on. It's about a bunch of men and women who all want wanted a piece of this woman and like are finding ways to get it after she's gone and then are somehow surprised when that like turns out not to be true right um like waldo wants her as a piece of arm candy maybe maybe something more he wants her uh as like an endearing trinket to the bourgeoisie um shelby wants once uh again he's a kept man so he wants her you know dollar he wants her sort of to be the breadwinner he wants her to be you know maybe somebody that he can sort of fool around on that kind of thing um even Bessie the maid wants her as like this symbol of strength and authority. That's a really interesting relationship that doesn't really, again, sidebar, that actress is not even credited. I did not take down her name, but that actress who played Bessie, whose name is Dorothy Adams, uh, the, um, the maid at Laura's apartment is not credited in the film. She's, the I don't think she's even fuck? on Letterboxd. I didn't see Bessie in the, in the credits and Wikipedia that's, says that's she's like not That's like not a minor role. It is not a minor role. That's she like has like a pretty billing. substantial, yeah, pretty substantial monologue. I, I'd have to I think she's quite this. good too. She's yeah. great. Yeah, she good. says, I, I'm I mean, not afraid of cops. I always learn to spit at them. It's like maybe the best <laughs> line in the movie. It, it's great. Uh, I mean, just think about that scene where, and I wanted to talk about this too, where McPherson um, sort of says, I'm going to arrest the killer tonight after it's revealed to everybody that Laura is actually alive. And uh, Bessie just screams like, no. And she just like jumps in the way and puts her life on the line to save uh, Laura's reputation. Uh, anyway, just 
really wonderful performance. Dorothy Adams, not credited in this film as character of Bessie, but um, she even she wants her, uh, you know, wants a piece of her, wants like to own a little bit of that like remove a little bit more agency from the character of Laura um, with the twist. It all kind of becomes about how those people do remove uh, agency from others. It, when that other isn't around to define themselves for themselves to the world, um, maybe blowing it up into a broader idea than we can really uh, eat in a, you know, hour and 15 minute podcast. But um, all those narratives, you know, build around her, uh, her murder. She's not even, she's aware that she's dead. She was like a giving kind person. She was maybe a little bit sketchy. She, you know, whatever sort of casting a suspicion on her where needed, uh, and sort of protecting her, her virtue where, where, wherever else, um, it starts to become in the vacuum of her own ability to define herself to the world, how, uh, much these people have been allowed to tell her story. I'm of course reading from my own notes now because I don't want to misspeak anything, but, um, even that I consider a pretty interesting approach to the genre is complicated a little bit by the script. Like I said, that last, that scene where McPherson does, um, uh, say that he's going to arrest her. That only ends like his suspicion is only, uh, whatever quelled after he reveal after she reveals that like, she doesn't actually love Shelby and she, and he's not a, you know, a factor in this at all. Like, it ultimately does come down to this kind of uninteresting detective character is in love with this really interesting woman. And that's, that becomes sort of like the story. Um, it, a little bit underhanded, a little bit like backdoored, but that's where it ends up going. And I don't think that's the most interesting way that this movie could have gone. Um, we do have to talk about, uh, I, I want to get everybody's opinion on the ending. Um, I was really not fascinated with, uh, Oh, uh, somebody's at the door. Um, I'm going to go, uh, Oh, it's Cody. Cody, uh, what have you got in your hand there? Creek. Uh, what? Kablamo. I don't know. I'm the. I'm Did the you just shoot no, Jason in the face with a shotgun? That's right. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't Jason. It was Seth. You just dressed him up to look like Jason. That's. Wait, Seth, when did you. Mm, see, the misdirects never cease here on Try Love, a movie podcast. Um, yeah, thanks for opening the door, Jason. Um, yeah, I, this was my first time seeing Laura. Um, it is my second auto priminger joint. I have seen Anatomy of a Murder, which I, I, 160 minute courtroom drama starring James Stewart is maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but I, I, it's better than it sounds. Um, so check you it out. You had me at James you- Stewart. Yeah, I, I saved the best for last on that one. Um, but yeah, I um, I guess what I'll lead with, and we were sort of getting at this a little bit um, in the group chat the last um, 24-ish hours, but, you know, I was, it was a very quotable movie and I was looking for, I was watching Laura um, yesterday and I was looking for uh, a cute little line I could put in at, for my introduction at the start of this episode. Um, and I, I kept, like, I was hitting a bunch in a row and I was getting frustrated. I was like, why am I even writing these down? Like, I'll just, like, when I know, I'll know. And there's so many to pick from. And, you know, this movie, and if it, feels okay to stretch that across like multiple nor or maybe like nor as a genre even like there are a lot of i statements to be found from guys like waldo lidecker and mark mcpherson and shelby carpenter um and this movie is a lot of you know like them like in combat with each other using these sort of um yeah again these i statements you know i see this i remember that i feel this way for laura etc and i i can't help but feel that um, you know, like this, this, like that sort of alludes to this movie's focus on like perception of self and how our perception of, of others and our feelings of possession or ownership toward ourselves and others is, is so like, it's so limited, right? Like, like a lot of our shortcomings come down to the folly of our egos. Um, uh, RIP Lidecker again, spoilers. Uh, and I, I'm not the most 
noir savvy person. So I may just be like shooting from the hip there. Um, but I guess if that sort of, um, friction feels like something of a, of a motif in noir, then perhaps, uh, Laura is like perhaps an example of a great one. Um, I, I, I'm still struggling with ways to like critique noir as a genre, but I do know that there are a lot of things here that I, I quite enjoyed. Um, like the subtle twists and turns, the meandering between like four or five tentpole characters that we get the seeds planted for up front. And then we, by the end of it, you know, we can see these characters in a new light under di- different circumstances. How does Lidecker look at the end of all this? How does Shelby look at the end of all this? Etc. Um, and what Jason was saying about McPherson, I like. I, I think that's a pretty fair um, critique. I, I feel like McPherson in Lesser Hands might be even harder to get into as a character because um, he comes off as this sort of like generic one note, um, apathetic, and not really anything else. I do like the little the little things that this movie does to sort of gesture at a deeper interiority that sort of um, sports that baseball toy that he has to like prevent him from hulking out i guess um and we get some like nice little crash zooms uh, like close-ups on his eyes you know him sort of like eyeing lidecker as as he walks away just like little things like that that gesture at something deeper i think that sort of thing is is fun you know like gesturing at it without spelling out this is what makes this guy tick um adds to the sort of layers and mystery of it all um i i like that this movie had me asking questions not in a like what is happening kind of way but in like in a good you're sucking me in kind of way. Like, you know, does Bessie love Laura? Is McPherson a simp for Laura? Or is that just a misdirect? Is Lidecker's face a clue? And that's why he wants it out of the house so badly. Is this going to turn into a thin man ending? It doesn't really turn into a thin man ending. Um, a thin man ending, rather. Uh, is Lidecker an incel, etc.? Lots of great questions uh, <laughs> to be found. Um, there was, I think, a right amount of whodunit. Um, though as much as as much as I love an abider, I love an abider of the Rashomon rule, folks. Um, but I, I almost wanted more of the the whodunit. You know, like we we got a big old flashback with Lidecker. Um, why not get that from you know perspective of of Shelby of you know, something from Bessie, something from Laura herself, that could have been something. Um, but what was shown, I think, you know, was a movie that again, I, I, I liked, maybe I'll have a better idea of how to critique the movie and critique the genre following our conversation, no pressure. Um, and I guess if you want to see it and haven't, um, and you don't feel like going to the Trilon for pandemic reasons, maybe you still can, uh, when you're listening to this, maybe not, I can't remember our schedule, but this movie will be on the Criterion channel through the end of January, 2022. And then it is off the channel. So that is my like streaming service plug of the day, I suppose. Uh, enough for me though. I think it's time to turn to a man, uh, who is as quotable as the film Laura, if not more so. And that is Harry Mack and Harry hit us with those dope ass takes. Boy, I hope not. Um, it's it's funny you say that because I've certainly seen fewer film noir than Cody has, and I was completely ready to be like, "Yeah, I'm something of an expert." Got at this film one, noir, and I'm gonna uh, <laughs> walk you through it. No, but um, I have a really interesting relationship with this movie to me and probably no one else, which is that um, I think it's a better noir than almost any noir I've ever seen in terms of understanding what it's doing, in terms of understanding particularly the femme fatale and the femme fatale as. Uh, symbol and what how she reflects on the end of the American dream and American class and um, the identity of of particularly masculine people within the death knell of the American dream um, and the sort of great failure of America itself. Um, however, so like it's really fascinating that this came out uh, the same year as Double Indemnity, a movie we also did 
uh, a podcast on because Double Indemnity is inferior, in my opinion, from like a thematic and plot structure um, level. But I like watching Double Indemnity more, which is really interesting, I think, uh, at least for me, just because like this movie, it's sort of languid and it's it's a little bit um, one note, whereas um, Double Indemnity has a bit more of a, an action arc. So that's an interesting way to look at the sort of breadth of the um, genre. But um, I, like I said, I think that that centering this movie around Laura and particularly around the um, thought to be deceased Laura is a really, really um, brilliant thing to do because it allows us to see Laura as the symbol, right? That that like ties the whole movie up together, which is that um, as Jason, you were noting, she's like a she's like a black hole, right? She's she's like so beautiful that she bends space and time around her and that like everyone becomes something in relation to her. Like we're all orbiting around Laura and we all want something for Laura Um, from Laura. I mean, and uh, or, and for Laura Uh, and it sort of becomes everything about who they are and what they want. And I, I really like that as sort of like a, all of these characters are missing something, right? And they're not even, they didn't even realize it, but they're desperate to attain it. And so when Laura comes into their lives, she's not a, she's not a woman, right? She's not a, she's not a person to them. She like, I think Lidecker literally has a line about how she became as iconic as the cane and the coronation mm-hmm. that he wears, which is like a really straight up, like Laura is literally an accessory or she's a symbol of status or a symbol of wealth or a symbol of the type of man that you want to be because you can attract and, and maintain the interest of someone like Laura. And so it's a really shockingly cynical, but very appropriate movie about the subject of love, right? Where it's like, if there was a sort of purity of love, it's as broken now as the clock at the end of the movie, right? Where it's like, because all of these people are missing something from themselves because they have this narrative about who they are and who they want to be they're even their quote unquote best parts, right? Like Lidecker said, you're, you're my best part, Laura. It, it becomes this twisted thing where it becomes about possession and ownership and retaining. And I think that when that's applied to specifically the time and era and politics of um, America as critiqued in the era of film noir, that all becomes very interesting, right? It becomes very much about this sense of um, loss and this sense of sort of like this this narrative that is haunting these men and that is making them into these things that they thought are and, and would make them do anything to re- maintain this illusion that they have about themselves. Um, and I, I feel like that's something that you can see in almost every, every film noir. I mean, it is literally the Maltese Falcon, right? Like the stuff dreams are made of. It's like the same sort of symbol. Um, I, I just think that like having Laura then appear and be just a human woman. Um, I, I went back and forth on this as, as you and Cody were talking even about how, like, do I like that the twist, what didn't have anything to do with Laura at first? I didn't, I was like, I wanted Laura to be sort of quote unquote worthy of the, the hype. If you know what I mean? Like she had this plan worked out all along. I thought for sure that the last second twist when there was like a minute left of the movie was going to be like, oh, she plotted this whole thing for some purpose on top of everything else that and she comes out ahead. She doesn't right? like she is legitimately just a woman who is sort of as um, enamored with the image of who she can be and who a partner could be for her as the men themselves. It's just so it becomes this sort of gender dynamic and this power dynamic that creates the 
horrors that we see unfold here rather than the sort of megalomania of a singular character like Laura, which I think is a much better thing to do. So I think it's amazing that this this movie sort of shows us the um, the symbol of Laura, like the iconography of Laura when she's dead. And then when she becomes a flesh a woman of flesh and blood, she almost doesn't live up to it, right? She's almost just another piece in this puzzle. And the mystique is something that is projected upon her, right? Like she's she's just a woman who who is very good at her advertising job and wants a himbo, essentially. And and this poor doomed queer dude has like projected all of this other stuff onto her, which obviously Lidecker is the reason to watch this movie right like he's the best it is a, it is a little bit shitty that like it's an extremely 1944 move that it's like oh yeah it's the gay guy that has all of these weird obsessions and literally the symbol of the american dream like playing baseball and being this like big brawny cop is like supposed to be the good guy although i think that the movie plays with it really well right like i think mcpherson is an idiot and i think that's kind of important to what's happening here he's or he's not an idiot but he's he's a stormtrooper right like he's absolutely like a a fascist cop which i really like um so yeah i think that there's a lot going on here um i don't know that i was thrilled at any point during this movie um but I was really interested in everything that it was doing. And I think it's a really thoughtful version of a film noir. Um, at least that's what I think right now. Let's see if after one conversation, Aaron can persuade me to not only change my tune on the movie, but also uh, go through with marrying him because right now I'm not, I'm thinking it's going to be a no, but he's got yeah. one night. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. It's just, if that's not how you feel, that's, you know, I, I respect your choices. Uh, is there any time back to a, a quick, uh, bef- before I give my thoughts, is there anything that shows just like how, utterly bored every single person at least in the united states was before the invention of the video game uh more than those little sliding ball hand puzzles like like before 1982 every single person in existence they they drank uh and they played little sliding ball hand puzzles for fun. Yo, that, Those are the only two things that they did. Lidecker burn when he's like, did you, is that something you confiscated in a raid on an elementary yeah. school? <laughs> and he's like, I'm an adult. There's, I work 80, 18 hours a day. Please give, give me this. I have nothing else. Uh, no, uh, yes, I, I, I have, I think similar thoughts to what a lot of people said. I'll, I'll try and kind of bring them together here. I, I think, as I mentioned in the summary, this is a film that is, is often, you know, it is called foundational uh, to to film noir as as a genre. I think that is certainly true. I think this film can also kind of be read as kind of this uh, uh, future, th- looking forward into the future as kind of a remark on film noir in general and, and film noir characters, right? I think that a, a scene that is very uh, uh, common in film noir, Double Indemnity as an example, is our, our you know, kind of younger uh almost assuredly male, uh, 100% white detective character, uh, meeting the, the femme fatale character, right. And, and seeing her for the first time, uh, and she's in double indemnity. She's at the top of the stairs, I believe. Right. And there's swelling romantic music. Um, and it kind of, it builds her up as this mysterious, uh, seductive character. Um, I think that, you know, the scene does exist in this film, right. But it's, it's McPherson not looking at Laura, but looking at a, a portrait of her face. Literally. Right? Uh, yes. And, and, and building up this kind of, image of who she was based on on not any sort of interactions with her but but with people who knew her who have also kind of done the same right i think there's there's like an interesting um nugget here right about how the men 
in Laura's life or, or the men associated with Laura after her death uh, have constructed this this image of her. Um, I don't think the film maybe does enough to point this critique towards our main character, uh, uh, <laughs> although it, it does vaguely, right? It, it, it does a little bit through the character of Lidecker, um, but, but whether that's entirely... Though. Like, what the fuck, yes. dude? I mean, you know you kind of got to take the scraps that you can get from time to time. I think like, I I think that it is there. I find it kind of generally interesting. Um, You know, I, I think that buying into this film, uh, uh, at least from a a kind of straightforward standpoint uh, requires buying into a lot of relatively kind of old school uh, filmic ways of having characters fall in love over a very short period of time. So they can get together at the end. Right. I think it's even rougher here because Laura is seen in flashbacks, but she's really interacting with at least our main character, for less than maybe half of the film, right? Um, so th- it's kind of rough in that manner, but I think that the shorthand kind of works. I don't know. I guess I'm willing to buy that these characters did fall in love in an old school Romeo and Juliet kind of way. They probably went, they slept in separate beds, et cetera, and so on and so on, right? Um, kind of conflicted. I guess my last point would be that I'm kind of conflicted because I do think that that Gene Tierney uh, is great as Laura, uh, but I, I do like that that concept of of people reconstructing who she was after her death even more so the, those two ideas are like kind of in conflict for me right um so that's that's something that i think is in conflict but i think that maybe through discussing it with the pod fellows there's some sort of synthesis to be found there so um but yes overall i like laura uh maybe a little bit messy at parts but um i think an interesting film and an interesting film in kind of this larger conversation around film noir so yeah, something you said that I really like at, at the end there about Laura herself. Like, I agree, um, Jean Tierney is really great as Laura, but I think she's really good at bringing Laura back to Earth in a way that I'm not sure a lot of film noir do, right? Like, if, if we look at the typical sort of female love interest or even femme fatale in film noir, I think that, like, as a symbol of the American dream, they are often something that is inattainable or or sort of damaged through trauma or damaged through sort of like um the the evils of the american system and it becomes like something along the lines of like the man could be who he wanted to be if he could be with the femme fatale but he fails to be with the femme fatale because the rules are different than he thought or because she's different from who he thought whereas in in this movie i i think it's it's a lot um maybe more mature and even in truer in the sense that it's like Laura is just a woman, right? She's yes, she's beautiful. She is brilliant. She is all of those things, but she is not this sort of like savior, this like Jesus Christ figure that they've built her up to be in their heads. Right. It's like, I really like that. It's like, I kept thinking because I've seen film noir that like Laura was secretly the bad guy all along. She had a plan. She was playing all of these men against each other on purpose, but that's not true. Right. She is just a player. She is like afraid and she contradicts herself and she, um, she makes mistakes and she is pretty, she makes a lot of stupid decisions during interrogations and stuff, right? Like withholding information or, I mean, she's better at it than, than her husband to be would be, but she's not amazing at it. it it's, it's really interesting. Right. And so what it, you- instead it becomes sort of like this idea that like, it's not, it's not that if you were the man you were supposed to be, you would be able to have her. It's just that like the, the symbol isn't what you think it is. It's, it's actually something that's much more, real. She's not going to solve all your problems. She's not going to make you uh, the perfect version of yourself. She's not the best part of you. She is just herself 
you know what do you take what do you take of the 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 character of uh of lidecker kind of crafting her in the the image that he wants right he, he's kind of uh uh Pygmalion-esque kind of crafting this this woman out of out of this block of stone, right? And he's yeah. kind of bringing the woman out by advancing her career. I mean, I think that you can kind of read either way, right? You can read that. Obviously, it's, it is very critical of, of Lidecker in general, right? That he's the bad guy, right? Uh, but also, I do think that you can also read it the other way, where the, this woman who is, I think, maybe not shown to be quite as special as someone like Lidecker says, right? But but certainly I think is shown to be yeah, she's uh, great. not like entrepreneur. Yeah, she right, she is she is a, a woman working in a, a very male dominated industry uh in kind of the mid twentieth century, right? She she does the classic good salesperson thing where she she approaches him uh, and she kind of really sells the shit out of, hey, can you you endorse this advertisement? Um she is like a go getter in that manner. Uh, right. uh but Lidecker, I think yeah, I mean, how do how do you think that fits into to the the that idea that you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that the very first scene with Lidecker where he says that I have tried to be the honest, the most honest, sweet uh, person that I can be, the way that Laura thought of me, and then he says he has that great line where he says, um, "I would I would be su- sincerely sorry to see my uh, neighbor's children devoured by wolves." Like I don't think that he's lying, right? Like I think that that Laura represents a so a sort of second chance for him. Like he is he is uh, Laura's pro or like mentor, and um, he's sculpting her to be like he says the best version of himself, so that he can sort of like attain this new image for himself. Um, as the person he wants to be, uh, which again, with when you follow queer theory, it's like super, super sad, right? That implication, but it is, it is there in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think that, I think that that's what he is. That's what he's so obsessed with, right? Is that Laura as this sort of like redemption arc for him, much like she is, or much like a, a femme fatale traditionally would be in another film noir. Yeah. I, I think that the, the way that I kind of, square it thinking about it just kind of tying what you said i i I think that it is like the the thing is is that like yes he is a mentor and he does provide her uh opportunities or at least it's it's you know told to us in the film and kind of shown that he he set her up with contacts with with people to meet he did kind of kickstart her career uh in this manner i think the thing is that and and maybe this is like to the strength of the writing of, of lydecker as a character uh is that he initially kind of uh uh describes it as as him enabling her career. But I think by the end of the film, we learn uh, that it was really him kind of taking credit for her, her successes in a way, right? It was not him enabling her. It was, it was him, him kind of pushing her in the direction that he wanted. And in that manner, kind of building Laura to be who he wanted her to be. Uh, right. In or that, just like, in that manner. I mean, it's, it's, so so clearly a sexist society, right? That it's like, it can, it can even be messier what? than that and still work. Right. It's like, it's, he could have enabled her career in the sense that she needed to get a famous male person to endorse her product in order to get attention because otherwise she, she maybe never would have risen to the sort of like celebrity that she had. But like, is that totally on him? Right. It's sort of like, well, like maybe she needed to do this to get there and you helped her with that, but that doesn't mean that, that you shouldn't get the credit for something like that. In the film, in the film does show the film, you know, as I mentioned, the film does show that scene of her, of, of her approaching him, right? Like she really did initiate that. Uh, I think that if without that scene, this film comes off quite a bit worse, I would say. 
or at least her character. Yeah. Uh, in the in the absence, then Harry, of uh, just thinking about what uh, probably what you were saying, what makes Laura different from a lot of noir femme fatales? Uh, in the absence of that, like actual any consummation of that Christ-like figure that she's that she would be built up to be in, in any throughout any other noir, like the the steam is kind of let out of that with the twist of this movie. But does that leave the rest of the cast to fill that void of, uh, I guess, like the pieces that would normally be in uh, noir? Uh, that's a good question. It's it's weird, right? Because I actually think that Laura is like way better for that sort of like almost semi letdown, which is a weird thing to say, right? It's a it's a subtle distinction because like I I don't think that we're ever supposed to think that Laura is like entirely human or like it does not live up to the hype, so to speak. But she's just not what what everybody thought she was, right? Like she she's just also like much more mundane and, and earthy, right? Like like the um, Lidecker even says, like, I congratulate you on what I'm sure will be a very earthy relationship. <laughs> um, but I think that the other characters do a really great job. I mean, Vincent Price as the made man is really funny in the sense that like, he's so clearly a great class symbol in this movie, um, like Aaron was talking about. And uh, I really, really like um, Gene Tierney, or I'm sorry, uh, Dana Matt Andrews. It's like you said. Uh, I nobody laughed at that joke or anything I when I said it, and no, I was like, "Ah, it's badly written." All right, continue. Yeah. Um. No, it was good. Uh. But I really like that he is like, in my mind, the sort of like, um, it's almost like in Kiss Me Deadly, where like the whole thing with Kiss Me Deadly is like that, um detective is like very openly a fascist and it's like super obvious i like that this isn't exactly what that is but like i really love that he's like a an obvious man child who like has this sort of like idea about himself as a detective um and i i think that that he does a really great job of sort of like getting to exactly what that character needs to be um what do you think cody yeah, I th- I unfortunately think a lot of things. I, I've been here in the background, kind of listening to you fellas talk uh, talk through this, and I, I, like I thought I had a um, like an an okay grap grapple. I, I grappled this movie. Uh, no, I, I thought I had like a, an okay enough understanding, but like the more I think about it, the more I, I feel compelled to like try and undo this knot that I've created in my head. And I, I, th- I think like a lot of what you fellas are saying and what I'm about to say is not like it's, it takes it from bits and pieces of, of all of you. And um, I, I guess more recently, the sort of Harry, you're like uh, bringing up the point that, that Lara, uh, Lara, Jesus, Laura, um, the title of the movie, 1944 um, is, is sort of this like made to be like, she feels mundane. They essentially say as much. And like, honestly like she i guess depending on how you feel she is almost like the least interesting part of the movie um and like i i think the the fact that these like surrounding peripheral men i mean i don't know like i'm i'm going to rattle off a reading that's like kind of half baked but it, it like takes into consideration some things that really stood out to me while i was watching so like our introduction to Lidecker as a character is is hilarious right he's sitting in a bathtub there are towels in the shot, like before it comes over to him, to- multiple towels that say WL on them. Lidecker sitting in the tub and Pearson comes in and Lidecker's like, huh, you recognize me. It's like, yeah, your name's on the fucking towels. You're like very over the top, very, um, and, and, and like he, he's over very over the top as a, as a, a character. I, like shout out to, to Clifton Webb who acts his pants off. Um, and, and like the, and then sort of the questionable decision by this, this um, detective McPherson who does seem to be like, 
going through the motions in, in a lot, like, I don't know, uh, in my mind, a good detective would not let a suspect tail the case regardless of how famous of a writer he is. And so like, in my mind, I think like, okay, textually for the purpose of, of this movie, for like the purpose of these motives, like you let somebody tell you if you obviously know that they did it, or they obviously know that they didn't do it, or I guess if you're just like a bad detective. And so like, I, I wasn't necessarily banking at the time that it was like, Oh, this is like Lidecker did it then because like, he's been like, he's going to follow the case and like maybe McPherson knows, or maybe he'll find it out along the way. So like something felt like it was getting telegraphed almost like something was obvious, but I, I like, I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I think the, the queer coding of, of Lidecker as a character. Um, I, I mean, like it's been said, I, I like it. It makes a lot of sense depending on your reading the, his um, like talking about Laura. I, I think he, I don't know if he ever uses the term arm candy, arm candy specifically, um, maybe, but like, like that's essentially what the relationship is. Five out of the seven nights of the week, she is his arm candy, um, full of social obligations. Him sort of feeling this this obligation to prop up her career. There's nothing, like, there's nothing really romantically coded. Uh, I don't want to say nothing, but there's little that's romantically coded about it. She meets him when she's fucking seventeen years old. Um, so, and like, there's this clear age gap read into that i guess whatever you will and no powerful men in business would take advantage of that kind of age gap i i don't know this is not something that i would believe (laughs) laura 2023 starring leonardo dicaprio oh bother um and, and then we look at mcpherson and like we've talked about his sort of dryness his um like his indifference um and i feel like less i i feel like less and less like i i want to defend that but i guess again if you squint and sort of look at it like it it i don't i i can't like there's something mundane feeling about him too but like it, it almost feels like through the him being on the other end of this spectrum that I guess if we want to create it in retrospect with like him and Lidecker, he is this all American uh, fascist cop um, plays with little baseball toys. Like maybe like on some level, does he feel like he needs to be invested in her? Does he feel like he needs to love her? Does he feel like there needs to be some attraction there? There was a moment and I wish I could remember the specific moment, but I remember having the thought like, I, I know how I'm supposed to feel about a movie in 1944, like this particular like plotline, but is this McPherson wrestle, wrestling with like this sense of asexuality versus like some obligation of loving this, this dead, uh, very attractive woman. Um, uh, like, and I don't know that again, squinting and maybe it's there, but, and I'm also like not qualified to make this like very half-baked take, but I, I think there's, I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there isn't. But I, I that stuck with me the I, more and more. That that sort of through line of we're we're if we look for it, I think Laura is like maybe making an earnest attempt at deconstructing um, uh, the noir genre textually. I'm less certain about the execution. A lot of what I said is just like me filling in the gaps with what I would like certain things to mean. Um, and I know we've done that on previous episodes before. Um, I don't know. Is any of that like, am I really talking out of my ass, Harry? Or like, does any of that make sense? No, I think a lot of that makes sense. I I would say that there's even a lot more textually there than I didn't pick up on the asexuality thing, though. I really like it. But I think it is really important that like McFury, like in a key element of or McPherson, excuse me. McFury is the Irish uh, (laughs) (laughs) police sergeant that's back at uh, at Jamrock or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think that it's really important to note that he is textually a misogynist, right? Like they have an extended conversation where he's like, oh yeah, all dames are like, I, a dame got a fox for a coat out of me. They're all after my non-existent cop money. Like I'm, I'm never going to fall in love. Like he has this like, this like very staunch stoic alpha fucking persona that he's built up, right? I kept waiting for somebody to be like, oh, you played football in high school. You know what I mean? He is like exactly that character. In fact, the like the shootout with the thug that happened in his police career before um, accomplishes exactly the same thing. So it's it's really fascinating how even he, there's this sort of like tension, right? And I, I read it as almost more class-based than um, than sexuality-based, but but it's really interesting, right? Because like you're right, there is this tension where like he is mad at himself that he is taken in by Laura in the way that he is, and he is mad at himself that um, that uh, Lidecker is right about him, as Lidecker is like at least half right about everyone, right? So that's a really interesting throughline in this in this movie is that I think McPherson at the beginning of this movie he read it he read as like class conscious and class resentful to me in that like coming into this like um this world of of high socialites he was like mocking them or not mocking them necessarily but he was clearly contemptuous of them um and then that sort of like it's really cool and maybe like a really great referendum in the noir sense that like that misogyny does not go away it just sort of like translates into the natural like manifestation, which is that like he falls in love with a symbolically perfect woman who can make him the way he wants to be. So like, it's really wild the way that this movie becomes like faces of misogyny, right? Like his misogyny is very different from uh, Lidecker's misogyny and very different from Shelby Carpenter's misogyny, but they're all using women as tools for their own ends in a really fascinating way. And that's, that there's a really there's a lot of really good tension there um from all sides yeah i'll say that i I didn't uh uh i i did not read lidecker as a a queer character i'm not to say that that's not uh uh, a valid reading i think it definitely is but I, i definitely read more into it as kind of this this character who is i think somewhat still problematically uh uh kind of um jealous of of McPherson specifically because of his his kind of uh, ability to conform into kind of a, a at the time kind of modern uh, understanding of masculinity. Right, he is a detective. He is uh, younger, certainly. Uh, he is certainly more kind of grizzled. Um, and I think that 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 is what Lidecker is kind of upset about. There's that line that he says that he, he's he's more obsessed with being an athlete than he is uh, an artist. I think right. Um, I mean, it, it's still not kind of great either way, but I, I, I read it more and it, with the usual caveat that I'm a, a straight guy. So uh, uh, just my reading, but I read it definitely more as kind of this, this jealousy around masculinity and these kind of uh, uh, societal standards right. for how these people should act, what roles they fit into, right? The, the kind of effeminate, uh, uh, kind of weak, uh, you know, critic, uh, you know, newspaper columnist. I think that's kind of a, uh, an archetype that, that Lidecker kind of fits right into. And then similarly, uh, McPherson kind of fits into a similar archetype, uh, which is that of a, an extremely boring character <laughs> without much personality uh, at all, but nevertheless uh, gets the girl at the end of the film. So, I, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's all pretty fair. The, the only thing I guess I'll add is like, I, I like the, the reading of Lidecker as a queer coded character, especially as it pertains to this sort of like genre trapping reading of like, you know, he, 
he the the reason that the ending or uh, that I mean the ending plays out as it does. He's I mean he's the the guilty party here. He's responsible for for this crime and like it's like you know, love versus whatever like social obligation that like he feels with regards towards Laura and also like the fact like his innate fury. We like the the most emotional we see him is that like we we see him like he he's just so pissed that Laura would play into the hands of like this like almost this trope like femme fatale falling for uh, not femme fatale but like femme fatale slash like female lead falling for for like handsome uninteresting cop character which well he spent his whole life trying to prevent that right like their whole relationship has been about him trying to convince Laura that the men she's dating are not good enough for her right and especially during his sort of I mean his little like outbursts at the end it's like i'm i'm less convinced that he feels the way he is because like he's in love with or but he's just he's just so pissed at like the 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 path that she chose um so yeah i don't know i maybe people feel differently about that but i i don't know i i yeah i like that as a through line i guess yeah, I mean, I should I should clarify, right? I think I'm I'm a little bit too hasty with my applications of queer theory, specifically because I'm a, a straight guy, uh, as Aaron also noted. But like, queer theory has very like it's not about determining which characters are are gay, right? Within the movie, it's it's about like what queerness is and how it is differentiated from the usual like the the quote unquote standard um, culture and history of nations and of people and how like the existence of queerness as sort of an idea as a as an identity um changes the way that you look at all of those things right so like i don't i don't think it's necessarily material to a queer theory whether or not like we are supposed to literally uh code uh, Waldo Lidecker is gay. Although I would argue that, like, even in 1944, they were absolutely doing the like winking. They were like, "Yeah, we all know the 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 newspaper yeah. dandy. Uh, yes. uh, he's a socialite. Spends a lot of time with his male friends. Like, it's it's all right there. But um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think that there's a really fascinating reading to to this um whether or not he's literally queer, just in the sense that like. At the end of the movie, like he almost literally says on the radio, like, um, trans or misogyny transcends class and uh, gender and um, sexuality identities, right? It's it's like he's talking about love, but like I would even argue that nobody in this movie is really in love with Laura, at least in the like healthy sense of what we would say love is. Instead, they're all like looking to possess and shape her. And uh, the really fascinating thing here is that like, I think the most cynical reading of this movie is that it seems to imply, at least to me, that that is what love is or that is all that love can be. You know what I mean? Is that like it becomes this thing that is about projection and about taking something from someone to have for yourself so that you can be a certain way. Um, and I think that that this movie says that like it's it's so insidious the way that that works, the way that your um, own uh, like self-denial or lack of self-esteem will creep up on you and you will have to displace it in this other person that it always happens. And it always happens to the the victim, right? It, which in this case is is a woman, but like you could read as as lots of other types of traditional victims. But but women are the things that most men want, so they become the symbol to sort of like capture, right? 
uh, tying into to some of that is the the character who we haven't really talked about too much of Shelby Carpenter, right? Who is, as I described earlier, a kept man, right? He is financially supported by uh, an older woman. There's, I, I guess, some at least assumption of some sort of potentially romantic or sexual relationship there. I mean, it's textually, it's a romantic relationship, right? Um, w- which does tie into it, right? Because I think we are, maybe if we are supposed to, uh, as old, more conservative kind of 1944 viewers, supposed to dislike Lidecker for his lack of kind of masculinity. I think similarly, Carpenter is a character who, right, he doesn't earn for himself. He doesn't have a job. His, his big character arc is he gets a job at the end of the film, kind of, right? He, he gets offered a, a position uh, in marketing, uh, and that's kind of his character arc, right? He's financially supported, and then oh, look, if he fills the kind of the classical role of the uh, of what a man should be in society, right? However, uh, myself, I would love to be a kept man. That's great. That sounds amazing to me. Uh, I would love to be financially supported. Uh, I have joked many times with my wife that that as soon as she makes it big, uh, uh, I am going to hang out all day. So uh, you know. Me, me, folks, I'm good. Sit back on the couch and be financially supported. So I, I don't agree with the film in that regard. It's that Taika Waititi, Kate Blanchett screenshot from Thor Ragnarok, but you showing yeah. Diana just like a bunch of PC builds and Morrowind mods and yes. shit. But yes, my, my, my wife studies uh, uh, political science specifically around like climate change. And I've often said that I think there is a market for a uh, a kind of a, you know, like pop psych or pop business books that are like taking very complicated ideas and distilling them down to like extremely stupid people buying these books at bookstores. There is the market for one of those for climate change. For dummies, you're saying that that Uh, would be like some kind of a book series like like subject for dummies. That's a brilliant idea, Aaron. Basically, Malcolm Gladwell, I need I I want my wife to write the Malcolm Gladwell of climate change books and sell 50 million copies, be on TV, and I am hanging out. I'm coasting. I'm relaxing. Yes, that is that is my goal in life. Uh, just kidding. Okay. What's everybody else's take on Vincent Price's Shelby Carpenter? Yeah, no, I mean he's a, he's absolutely a blue blood, right? Like I I think that the rivalry between he and um, uh, McPherson is is really like obviously class coded. Like McPherson is literally like the red blooded American, and he is literally like a blue blood American royalty type where like he used to um, get all of his money from the estate that he inherited. And now that he no longer has that estate, he has maintained his status by sleeping with women. Basically. Um, I think that, that they portray two different like halves or sides of what men need from Laura, right? Like he is literally interested in like money and status. Whereas McPherson comes to like have this other, uh, romantic notion. Um, so I, I think that those are two really important dimensions to, to fill out. Right. Yeah. And I like um, Shelby as a character. I mean, like everybody in this movie, everybody in every noir, every character who's like a suspect, at least anyway, is like, everybody's hiding something. Um, like we've talked about, like what McPherson might be hiding um, deeper feelings with regards to like how he feels for Laura, his sexuality in general, whatever it is that that baseball toy is keeping locked deep down inside of him. Like he's hiding that. I mean, uh, uh, Laura and, and Lidecker have their own, I guess, like secrets with regards to their own feelings for, for each other, for Shelby, for the crime that was committed. But, and like the fact that Shelby Carpenter is somebody who's like the thing that he's hiding is like his sort of like illusion of wealth and, and that 
um, you know, that I, I guess as that progresses throughout the movie and, and the flash specifically Lidecker's flashback and sort of the retelling of that. Um, and, and I, I also just I kind of related kind of not but I, I love that I could just I always assumed that Shelby Carpenter was fucking lying just like I never took anything that Vincent Price said at, at face value which like I don't I get maybe you like that maybe you don't um maybe it's a, a credit or, or discredit to um this <laughs> um younger version of Vincent Price that um some folks here didn't recognize um I, I won't name names or anything like it's that, perfect but, uh, casting for just a slime ball right it is it's and- man it's it's so good and uh, he's a, he's such a good film noir character too. In that, like the distance between how he portrays himself and who he actually is 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 arguably the widest of any of the characters. Right? Like he he comes off as, or he tries to be this charming, like eligible bachelor socialite, and he's actually this like destitute social creeper who is like trying desperately to maintain these illusions which is really as you said cody like true of all of these characters they're all characters who are not what they say they are but who want to be and so i think that like it kind of makes a lot of sense that the the woman laura the like femme fatale classic like every american dream character ends up with the red-blooded cop american right because they're both going to try to maintain that illusion but we know who they really are and so i think that even at the end of this movie it's kind of implied we know how that's going to work out and that kind of that helps right like that that creates the the overall theme of disillusionment that is running through this thing yeah and it's even like textualized in that scene that i was bemoaning earlier uh after mcpherson says um that he's going to arrest the killer tonight he ends up arresting laura and then acquitting her after she admits that he that she isn't in love with um with carpenter uh but he asked her point blank at the end of the interview, um, are you in love with him when she's sort of has been using his, uh, him and working with Carpenter to like deflect suspicion and try and coordinate plans to, uh, you know, sort of not admit guilt, et cetera. Um, he asks, are you in love with him? And she says, I don't see how I ever could have been in the interview ends and the scene ends like it's when he gets a big dopey smile on his face. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's like why it's a little bit fraught to me and a little bit like capitulating to that, trope i mean again it's it's up and down you know it's 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 uh i feel like that's good noir writing it's not interesting but it's just straightforward i've got one last question uh that i want to close the podcast out with but no i want you to don't put your hand oh down sure here. I, mean, I, after I would you're just done. say that i really love that party scene right because like first of all i don't know if this is a literal reference because i can't remember when the thin man came out but like they did literally the the final scene from the thin man um oh did it come out in 40 so 34. like 34 so 34 34 really oh, where did i get 40 from so yeah. it could have been a literal reference to that but like he sets it up and he's gonna do the big dramatic nick thing where he reveals the killer and it what it really turns out is basically he wanted to have a one-on-one with his the girl that he likes that he has a big crush on instead of like solving the mystery it's so good for that right where it's like this this guy is completely bumping around in the dark like yes he eventually solves the mystery yes it is a like cool fun fraught uh class symbol that it was a shotgun hidden in the antique um clock but like he gets there at the same time as everybody else basically he's like he's like dana and scully and uh dana and scully Mulder and scully in um x-files dana is scully's first name everyone um but uh where, where he just sort of bears witness to the crimes unfolding right and and just at the end of the day he's like well 
Another one in the books, gang. We did it. <laughs> Another one for the stars and bars. Uh, I brought up this thing a few times in my uh, opening thoughts, and I want to just like, we haven't really come back to it, so I assume it's been excised, but I want to put it in the ground. Uh, this movie released in 1944, like we said, the same year as Double Indemnity. It is sort of at a height of noir popularity, and um, you know, a lot of people who love this kind of fiction are going to see it for certain. While it's impossible to put your, yourself in the head of somebody who's you know in 1944 of movie going age, um, but is there any like direct audience indictment? Like I kept sniffing at this movie. Um, is there like is is it done in any meaningful way? Does it map any of the feelings, and motivations, and roles? Uh, of these people in the movie to how and why people would go watch noir. Is there any, did anybody else get that? Don't all talk at once. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that not, maybe not totally directly right in that. I feel like if it was more direct, um, we would have had McPherson more explicitly indicted the way that Aaron um, said he should have been. Uh, like maybe he would have like shot Laura while trying to apprehend a subject or something, right? That would have been Jeez. like a really well. Harry, you know, that's so that dark. Really <laughs> Harry is just <laughs> a cynic. Chinatown. Uh, but uh, the. I think that the audience indictment is more like a like a warning, right? It, it's it's hmm. very much like think about what you're doing with the Lauras in your life, whether that's like. A, a job or a place or a woman or this sort of idea of who you are and who you could be. It's like, you wouldn't cease to be the person that you are. The world wouldn't cease to be the way that it is. If you were to attain that, because it's not what you think it is. It's, it's better and worse because it's, it's a human, right? Um, so, so I think that, yes, like, I think that all noir is sort of in, indicting by nature, um, especially of America. Um, but I, I think that this one is particularly sharp because, um, it indicts basically all of the characters and by extension, the, the, I mean, like there, there is something very, like very Hideo Kojima, very like explicit about the name of the movie is Laura, right? Like the way it was marketed. Uh, we saw the trailers at, at Trilon. They were like, Laura, she's like, she's the most fascinating woman in the world. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Everybody falls in love with her the second that they see her. You have to see this movie because you have to see Laura. I think they literally say that. Um, yeah, I, I guess I also sort of similar to you, Harry. Um, or like, I, I don't I, I don't feel like I disagree. And if anything, this is maybe just me um, uh, like latching on, uh, taking the ball and running with it. Um, no, I would never purport that. Um, but also, that's a sports reference. Also, I, I, yeah, the the indictment doesn't feel direct. It almost feels, and this is like the way I'm like illustrating it is more like showy and um, ham fisted and like obvious than like maybe like watching the movie it would feel. But it's like I, I almost get the feeling like okay, like uh, uh, you know, audiences traditionally. Um, whether it's now, whether it's in 1944, they would latch on to the McPherson character because he's the detective. He's the quote unquote protagonist, the quote unquote good guy. He's trying to get the quote unquote bad guy. And like Lydecker is, I, in my mind, like incredibly obviously suspicious from the get go. Um, Shelby Carpenter gets caught um, anytime he tries to lie. Um, and like, he's almost like too stupid <laughs> to do this. Like, I, I, again, benefit of retrospect and, and hindsight and all that. And like the things that Lidecker says to, um, McPherson at the end, like a lot of those, they hold water then. And they like, a, like, I don't know those lines, as we've said, like they age like really fortuitously now. And it's like, almost feels like the movie looking at just like, okay, you're, you're locked in with McPherson just so you know. 
this is what like Lidecker, like the Lidecker's of the world, this is what they have to say to you. Does any of this ring true for you? Sit here and think about it. And like, maybe like, we'll check in with you next time. Um, like, you know, Harry said the, like the lore is in your lives, just like, I don't know, sit with this for a little bit. So it, yeah, like it does feel like a, a warning more than, than anything else. But I think there is something to that for sure. I mean, I really like the idea that it's audience indictment. I think that there's just this um, idea of mine that like audience indictment always has to be very like loud and very yeah, um, yeah. sort of even annoying, right? Like I think we're all tired of it in terms of like, oh, like you're the you're the evil person because you watched all these right, people. Right. Like you came here for this. So like I don't think it's necessarily that, but I, there is something there, right? Like I mean, it's literal escapism to go see Laura the mar- the movie was marketed on the sort of like on the beauty of Gene Tierney, which, you know, uh, fair enough. Um, and like, so, so there really is something there, right? Something operating formally in meta in a meta sense about like, you came to this for these reasons, for these expectations. Now we're going to show you something about why you did that. That's going to make you think about it again. Yeah. I, I like that idea that your assertion that like, audience indictment has to be spec ops. The line is well-founded because that's like, <laughs> that's what, well, that's, that's <laughs> like, got the Kojima. Now now the spec ops. Listen, yes. uh, Cody, pander to our can audience. you guess what kind of media spec ops the line might be? Uh, well, Hideo Kojima is one of the few video game uh, names that time uh, that I, I know they exist. Um, right. Yeah. He's a, you know what? I'm going to end it there. Talk about video games. I no, video I I did interrupt, games. so I will say that I I, I also do agree in that uh, uh, I I demand my cake and I also demand to eat it. Where every once in a while I do just like a film where people get together at the end and maybe it doesn't really make sense, but I'm kind of okay with watching that and enjoying that. Uh, but every once in a while I think you can kind of dig some more stuff out of there, and I'm I'm happy to do that with this film. I think it it works well on that level. I think. Um, yeah, no, it's not a failure yeah. on that level. I don't think. Um, is everybody ready for final thoughts? I sure am. Okay. Well, I'm going to call this final thoughts section. I'm going to start with mine. Um, the ending should have uh, been a lot darker and, and more mean. I think that uh, Lydecker should have been. Now what happens just as a setup, uh, Lydecker is back in the apartment. He's stalking Laura through her apartment with his shotgun, which the detective like left there for some reason. One, he's been touching things throughout the entire fucking movie. Fingerprinting was first used in criminal cases in 1911. This man had 33 years, 33 years to stop touching everything in everybody's apartment. No, he does it with a handkerchief. He does it with That's the first time he uses a handkerchief is the, to touch the fucking oh, sure. murder, the clear murder weapon. Every other time he's been touching everything. I think every mur- that's the number one you want, though, right? You're like you want the weapon to not be. But look, the other shit. Uh, yeah, all right, that's fine. But the murder weapon, I think that's the. I don't do know, not man. mess that what, one up. That's maybe, the number maybe one. You don't know what's important before you touch it. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, that's true. That's not that's my true. point. My point is that he, like Lydecker, is back in the apartment. He's about to murder Laura, and you hear in a really, really compelling, like terrifying turn. You hear the radio broadcast that Lydecker was supposed to make 15 minutes from when he left. That's like the best scene in the movie, It is right? so fucking good. And you hear it and he's just like, he's going over the action and there's just like, like dulled sound effects. It's really, really compelling. Really like, and then they cut masterful. to the cop outside and it really, really murders the tension. Well, the that's what I was going to really say is, scene. is then you hear him say, you hear the other announcer say, 
This has been the voice of, uh, you know, Waldo, what's his name brought to you by electronic transcription. And it's like, well, fuck. And then the story plays out and McPherson gets back to the apartment before he can do anything to Laura and the story ends because, and, and Waldo dies. And it's like, man, you really, you really fucked it at the last second there to have that like saved at the last minute sweep. I really dislike that. It was building to one of my favorite endings of a movie and easily like top 10 ending for a Trilon movie of this year. And then it went, um, anyway, uh, we're go, we're in uh, final, um, thoughts. Yeah. Does anybody else have more? Um, I could not believe that they kept cutting away from that scene. It was so brutal. They cut like three distinct times back yeah. to McPherson and it just butchered the tension in the middle of that scene, which is such a good scene. Um, Man, uh, we need to go back to 1944, uh, a time when a newspaper columnist could afford to live the way that uh, that Lidecker does. I in 2022, <laughs> Lidecker is like, well, I, I guess he could be an influencer, but like he was a fu- he's fucking blogging. He's like living in a studio apartment. He uh, can't take care of himself very well because he never stops working. <laughs> Uh, man, uh, I would, I would have loved to have been a Lidecker, uh, in, I would do anything that he did in this film to do it. Um, j- just uh, kidding. The li- uh, also the line, a great, the line oh, that he sorry, has, the, um, the sentiment comes easy at 50 cents a word. I was like, mm, mm, you know, that's it's not good. Yeah. Or in, in our Is that case, still the rate for like, yeah, 50 cents a word feels like more than what somebody is getting that's, paid for. That's, for higher, any that's higher than I've ever been. Yeah. For freelance work. That's higher than I've oh, ever yeah. been paid. Yeah. Uh, also like, I love the, one of my favorite things in, in film noir, especially like older film noir is the way that they have to play with the, um, Hayes. I actually don't know if this is a post Hayes code movie. I think it is, but like the way that they have to deal with, movie sensibilities like not being grindhouse the way they are now where it's like we never see any like violence in this movie hardly except at the very end um but like they describe the fact like it's a it's a significant plot point that the woman can't be identified because her face is gone because a shotgun blew it to smithereens and it's like they talk about it like several times and it's like holy shit movie like that's a very gruesome plot point to put into this and i i really i really think that that was uh well done it it, yeah this this would have been mid haze code uh so uh Yes, but still, yes, very gruesome. And also that is kind of the thing that the entire movie hinges around is that no one can identify that body. Because uh, again, her face was blown to the ring. I'm going to be honest, there was not a single feature that was recognizable after that. Hey guys, can we get another very quick dark. round of applause for women? Guys, let's let's get oh, another round on. of applause. Bro, I've been saying. <laughs> yes, yes. And shotguns. I'm abstaining from the bit. <laughs> Please. Oh, wait. I thought you were saying I have. Did he cut point. out? I, I'm not yeah, sure. I think he might be frozen. He's no. frozen on my screen. He's Me? not frozen. He is alive. He's not frozen in living color over there. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? I, that, I, that was it. That's all I had. Hmm. Well, you cut yourself out mid sentence. Classic then, man. No, I didn't. I'm what? a classic man. I said I'm not. Well, I said I'm not going along with the bit. 
of the sarcastic mm. clapping for I am mm. I am quietly respecting women in the background uh, instead of a, sh- a showy white knighting, which is what's going on. With the Listen, rest of my it's mo- it's more masturbatory to pretend that you're not going to get credit for it by sitting in the wings. You just got to own it. You got to be loud about it. Um, well, that is uh, going to close out, I believe, our discussion of Laura. But it's not closing out the, this episode of Try Love because we have one last segment to open up. Uh, Harry. You want to help me out? It's the one you've been waiting for, listeners. It is the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Cody's Noties. Wow. Noties. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> well, a reprise. Uh, yeah, thank you, as always, gentlemen, for that um, timely introduction. We've had a timely because there are clocks in this movie. Clocks are kind of a, a, a key um motif we've had a a lot of fun today with five letter movie titles this week uh on try love and in keeping with current trends he i figured we'd we'd better indulge in a little try love wordle um we won't actually be playing wordle uh instead we'll just kind of uh dance around it um i can see everybody fiending on mute in the background what i've done is uh i've collected the 10 most popular movies on letterboxd going by number of logged entries whose titles are five letters long. So first, um, we'll spend some time kind of poking and prodding at what those titles could be without actually revealing the full list. Um, So I will issue a prompt and in reverse alphabetical by last name order, uh, I will collect guesses that address those prompts. The closest guess to each correct answer will earn a point. And then after uh, we've done that, um, specifically four times, we'll get uh, into the second half where things uh, things will heat up a little. Uh, and as always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here, so use your noodles, not your Googles. With that, let's go ahead and jump in. So my first question for you all, of the 10, just imagine, uh, the 10 most popular movies on Letterboxd with titles that are five letters long, maybe you have a good idea as to what those could be. Maybe you have no fucking clue. Um, but uh, of those 10, um, how many would you imagine of them uh, are animated films? What's your best guess for how many of those 10 are animated feature films? And we start with Harry. Harry, what's your guess? How many out of 10? Man. Uh... One? I'm going to go with one. Harry's going to go with one. The Aaron, what do you think? Sorry, did you say Aaron? Yep, yep, uh, Aaron. I can think of one animated, and it's not even close to uh, two. All right, Aaron's going to go with two. And Jason, what do you think? I'm also going to go with one. Now that my answer is locked in, the only one we could all think of was Wally, right? I thought of Ponyo, but Ponyo, yeah, oh. not even. I mean, oh, no. Wally is more popular than Ponyo. Because I I thought of one popular five-letter word movie, and now it's the only thing that I can contain in my brain. So I wasn't... (laughs) You're not going to share it. You're not going to share it, are you? You're going to use this one for me. Yeah, that's... so that's the thing. I, I, I love how that played out. Um, the, the correct answer is three. So Aaron's going to get the point because he was closest. And what? so I, I guess the subtext of this, you know, A, uh, before we get into the second half, this will be a first opportunity for folks to, to get some points on the board. But you know, the, the uh, B, I guess the, the other big, compo- big component is without us actually saying what the titles are, or I won't actually say what they are in the questions, but, you know, however you want to digest, think about them out loud. If you want to, you know, get the, the, the creative juices flowing, um, and not creative juices, um, but just like, you know, knowledge-based 
juices. That's how brains work. Um, whatever you think they might be, and like use those as ammunition for the second half, where we are going to start to reveal those. That's what that's what these questions are for. And I, I you know, without editorializing it too much, I, I like the the direction you guys took that. So. Thank you for that. Wow, this is wow. Content creation is so much fun. Aaron really uh, again is. comes away with the point. It is. It really is. Um, blessed that I'm able to do this for a living. What? Um, second question here. Uh, of the the wait, ten wait, most wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you what? not? You didn't say this. The two animated movies. You're not going to tell us. I'm I think not going to say spoil, I think it would spoil for the remaining answer questions, right? Because he's still asking about the top ten. Oh, I guess five that's going to that's going to hurt me terribly. But yeah, uh, it already proceed. does. That's the idea, baby. 2022, the year of pain. Um, anyways, second question. Of the 10 most popular movies on Letterboxd with titles that are five letters long, how many of them do you believe are two or more syllables? I'm going syllables for this one. How many of those titles are two or more syllables? I'm going to say it once more just to give folks time to think two or more syllables, and I'm going to toss it to you, Harry. Harry, what's your guess? The number out of 10 of titles that uh, are two or more syllables. Uh, eight. Harry goes with eight. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I'm also going to go with eight. Aaron is also going to go with eight. And Jason, what's your guessy? Going seven. Jason is Son going seven. The correct Smart answer man. is eight. Uh, Let's go! <laughs> you know what points. else? You know what else is, um, is one no syllable? Pain, no pain. Shits. <laughs> Uh, that oh no, not Jason! It was. Uh, I'm sorry that we were not Meredith. Two syllables. Yes. Maybe that's why you didn't. Yes. Uh, maybe that's why you didn't get it. That's right. Um, shit with two T's. Will it make the top ten? I don't know. Um, but the third question. Uh, so we're halfway through the sort of preliminary round. The third question of the ten most popular movies on Letterbox with titles that are five letters long. How many of them are based on comic book characters? How many of these movies are based on comic book characters? titles that are five letters long harry what do you think for this one well i know that everybody's favorite comic book movie spawn is on the list so i'm gonna go ahead and say it's got to be at least that one Uh, i'm gonna go with uh four four of the uh three i'm gonna go with three of those bad boys all right he did not take his hand off the piece judges say so we're gonna go with three we're gonna lock in three (laughs) for harry uh next up is aaron um aaron what's your guess I'll I'll take uh I'll take the guess of four then. I'll go four. Although I will say that I could just guess with Harry for the rest mm-hmm. of the game and I've decided honorably not to. So Okay. I don't know if Aaron cut out for anybody else, but I, I think what I heard what I assume he said is that he's gonna do the honorable thing and itself thought that that was so ridiculous that they cut him off. <laughs> they, they were like, Why <laughs> would you do that? Yeah, you should go for the win. Yeah, no. Four. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the nice thing about Zencaster is that Jason upped the membership, and so we have live sensors, um, which is um, really fortuitous for us. Um, uh, and uh, going to, to Jason yeah, every time for I the- use the word hauntology, I get zapped. <laughs> Beep. Oh, they were late on that one. I will get them next time. There it is. There it is. Toots galore. Jason, um, what is your guess for this question? Uh, comic book characters is the, the, the key phrase. I'm going to go with three films. Did I hear three? You heard three. Okay, cool. Um, perfect. So the correct answer for this question 
I'm getting tired of rereading the phrase, the 10 most popular movies on Letterboxd with titles that are five letters long. So that's the last time I'm going to say it. Uh, the correct answer is three. Harry and Jason come away with points. Wow, the, the teaming up is is kind of paying off. Cost? We'll see if that what is the cute. cost of honor? You know, what what is the... Uh, Cody, I think you I mean that when people copy me, it pays off for them. So uh, that's what you mean by the teaming up. <laughs> Those are your words, sir. Uh, and for our fourth and final first round question of the 10 most popular movies on Letterboxd with titles that are five letters long, how many of them our previous Try Love episodes. Harry? Hey, what? Mm. I think we need a timer on this. Four. I'm going with four. Harry is going with four. How many is Aaron going with? Two. How many is Aaron going with? Can't Wait, you sir, I do you not get that? Two. Two. Did not get that. Two. Oh, okay. oh yep. Sorry. Okay. Oh. All right, Aaron. <laughs> two. Aaron is going two. with two. <laughs> How many is Jason going with? Uh, I'm going to go with one. Did you catch that? That is one. That is one. Thank you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's a me thing or just um, Sunday scaries thing. Uh, but the correct answer is two. The correct answer is Fuck. two. Um, Aaron comes away with with three points. Three out of four possible. points points for that first round um harry's got two points as a sort of uh baseline and jason's at one everybody's on the board which is good fun and um i just want to say thank you for your participation in uh, the first half of this nightmare and the second half will be uh revealing these titles or rather you'll be revealing these titles hopefully by means of a round of try love feud um and for those unaware i'm gonna do the unfortunate thing and go through the rules all again just in case anybody listening is unfamiliar or if any of our fine participants have forgotten over the last month or so what this entails uh, but trial of feud is similar in spirit too but different in execution from the famous game show family feud the category for today is <gasps> the 10 most popular movies on letterbox with titles that are five letters long what i will do is one at a time ask each of you for a guess of a movie included in that list Every guest comes with a 10-second window. These will be 10 seconds that, at the very least, I will be counting out silently uh, silently on my side. And if Jason permits it and wants to, he can maybe also provide flavorful music from his end. I don't want to put that on him. I know this is a very stressful situation. If he feels up to multitasking, he totally can. Um, But otherwise, yeah, if if you make a correct guess of a movie title within your 10-second window, you will get a point. This round also comes with three strikes per person, and if you get three strikes, then you're out for the remainder of the round. If you make an incorrect guess of a movie that is not in this category, you'll get a strike. Um, Hopefully, since the titles are shorter, we won't have any issues of incomplete or partial movie titles being guessed, but in the event that that happens, um, you will get a strike, and if you fail to guess a movie before I count through uh, the 10-second window of your turn, you'll get a strike. We'll go in the same order for these, so Harry, Aaron, and then Jason, and then just sort of on a loop until we can't anymore. Um, whenever it's the next person's turn, I will say your name, something to the effect of, you're on the clock. I think that's how I sound. Uh, and then your time your time will start basically when the music does. The round will end once all movies have been guessed, once everybody has three strikes, or once there's a clear winner, whatever happens first. Whew. Any any questions from you, gents, before we jump in as I open up this additional new document? I'm going to take that as we are Gucci to go. All right. So first up on the clock, we have one Harry Mackin. This is movie titles, the most popular, famous uh, movies on Letterboxd, going by Letterboxd popularity that have five letters, only five letters in their titles. Harry, you're on the clock. Fargo. All right. Right out of the gate. Harry comes out with a guess of Fargo. 
And Fargo comes in at number seven on this list. So that is one point for Harry. Um, that is, yeah, again, slotted at seven out of 10. He it's has all no strikes. from here, folks. Womp, womp, womp. Uh, next up, we've got Aaron. Aaron is uh, down for the guests, and he is on the clock. Do you mean, uh, can I, I need to ask a clarifying question first. Do you mean five letters or do you mean five characters? Will a film with six characters but five letters count towards this if you get my meaning titles that are five characters the characters are all letters if that has to be super specific yeah uh okay but play the music if you for folks that play wordle kind of know where i'm coming from akira akira is the guess Akira unfortunately did not make the list. Uh, that would be, I wonder how far I would have to go down in order to, to see that. Hopefully not very far. Um, a lot of people should watch that movie, IMO. Um, but Akira did not make the list. So that is a strike for Aaron. We're going to move to the superest producerist, Jason. Jason, you are on the clock. Blade. Blade is the guess. Blade did not make the cut. Shit. Another, wow, regrettable omission from this list. People, letterbox users, you need to be a little more cultured, IMO. Uh, we're going to loop back around to Harry, who prophesied that it would be all downhill from here. We'll see if that is actually the case. He has no strikes, and he is now on the clock. Wally. Wally is the guess. Wally comes in at number four on this okay, list. Okay. Number four. I literally just asked. You said is they Wally. were five characters. A dash is a character. Is I, ju- I just asked this. Is Wally listed on Letterboxd with the hyphen slash with the dot, or is it just Wall and then a letter E? Because I he I'm said he said that they're all letters, so he didn't. You tell said the five letters all. You said I, five characters am, all letters. That is taking, six taking, characters five letters. I'm taking exception to this. I'm not contentious about Cody's noties, but there's very clearly a hyphen which counts as a character in the Wally listing on Letterboxd. Yes, and I I was clearly going to guess that based on my question. I vote to nullify. (laughs) This is the second time during this exact quiz game that I have been attempted to be subverted from my my eventual victory. Uh, Whatever. I'm a benevolent I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't don't have one that's... I mean... Listen, I don't have a real reason to be I mean, mad. I'm just mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like I asked a question that was very leading for this, but yes. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I did not know you were going to guess Wally. Um, okay, in retrospect, I could have been a, li- a little more clear. The I, Hey, um, we're going to call this I don't this get a the, strike, uh, but I don't get a point. Is that fair? Not sure, I mean, we can give you the point. Give him the point. I think you should yeah, have he the point. needs the point. My fellow needs, needs the point. Listen, no, no, no. They point. don't get to complain and then be like, okay, but no, he can get the point. Um, listen, any instance where I can uh, name drop Wally and not name drop Ratatouille, unless it's in derision, like this sentence. Um, oh, I'm you mean the superior it. film that's not as fat phobic? Yeah, it is, a, it is a better film. But what mm, if Harry got another round? Would, would that help? I mean, not to divert, but I feel like maybe Cody or maybe Harry should get another guess. I don't get Instead a strike of just and being... I don't get a point. And I don't get another that round. For you. <laughs> Because yes, another round would not help whoops. me, sir. <laughs> so we're going to just keep it, keep it on a roll. Okay. <laughs> that is correct. All right, I'll, I'll go. This is okay, not going to work. Hold on. But yeah, uh, but yeah. Excel uh, spreadsheet does not like that we're going back on the rules. But hey, you know what? The people have spoken. I'm a merciful lord. Um, so yeah, Wally is off the table. Off the table. So no strike for Harry. No point gained. We're moving on to Aaron. Um, if Aaron has any uh, leading questions he would like to ask 
now is the time to telegraph the movie that he would like to pick. Otherwise, no, no, I got it. I got it. Beat, beat. All right, Aaron, you're on the clock. Ponyo. Ponyo is the guest. Ponyo does not make yeah. the cut. <laughs> he said regrettably. So sad. Um, <laughs> um, and now we are over. We're back to Jason, who is at one strike. Um, Jason, you were on the clock. Laura. Laura is the guest. Uh, Laura, number one most popular. No, uh, Laura's not on the list, unfortunately. Um, uh, regrettable. Um, watch Laura, by the way. Um, if this game is any indication, um, well, it's the movie is notably less manic than, than this has been. Um, Harry, uh, we're back to you. No strikes on the board. You've got a point. You've got what, eight movies left to choose from, to, to pick from in this pool of Try Love Wordle. Harry, you are on the clock. Thank you, Cody. I'm so glad that I get to be the one to guess this. I'm going to go with Venom. Venom comes in at tenum. Gotta love that Venom. Venom, number wow. 10 on the list. No strikes yet, but two points gained. Um... Here's starting to run away with this, um, but we're going back. Uh, but still, hey, still very much anybody's game, technically speaking. Uh, we're going to move back to Aaron, who can hopefully get a point here on the board in this second half. Um, Aaron, you are on the clock. There is literally no way that this movie has been logged more than Venom, but enemy, I guess. <laughs> Denny the Moved Enemy yeah. is the guess, and Enemy is not on the list, unfortunately. Yeah, what Everybody if, should watch what if that it was like number two, though? Can you imagine? That would rule. Honestly, if Enemy came out in like 2019 or something, uh, as like Letterboxd's user base spike, I could see it making this list. Um, but yes, uh, I, honestly, good fun guess for a, well, a good like less fun and, and kind of um, uh, heart-wrenching, not heart-wrenching. Just watch the movie. It, it, a lot of feelings. Um, so Aaron is out. That's his third strike. We've got Jason and Harry left on the playing field. It is Jason's turn. Jason, you are on the clock. I'm literally just going through the alphabet, thinking about titles of movies that I know that start with those letters. Um, uh, super. Eight, nine. Super is the guess. Um, Dwight Schrute's Super and Super, unfortunately, did not make the cut. Um, I watched that some time ago. I remember feeling good about it. It might be worth revisiting. Um, this is that thing I do where I sort of pad the the despair of not getting a point with like something nice to say about the movie, even though it doesn't matter. Um, so Jason is, is out um, since... Well, I guess... So where we stand right now, um, combined from the two halves, we've got... Harry sitting at, oh, well, I guess Harry is sitting at four points. Aaron's got three. Jason's at one. I mean, th theoretically, we could just stop unless, Harry, you want to <laughs> keep guessing movies. Is Bambi on you, there? Bambi is not on there, so that's a strike. Okay, Do you well, want to just write off I a got. couple more? Nah. That's what you got? No, Nothing else? Did someone say Blade or Spawn? I know someone said a one of Blade yeah, or Spawn, but the other one. Spawn okay. is certainly not on that list. I mean, no. Hey, Noodles, not I guess Google's. We'll, we can open it up to... Yeah. yeah. Does, does, Google's um, not Google's. Does, yeah, does we... looking at our own podcast feed count as Google's? It does. Yes. It definitely God, does. Of yeah. It's the uh, spirit of Google's. I feel like so it's on there. Yeah. Speed is not on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 those are so popular movies. I don't. Uh, it's going to be some shit that I'm like, oh, yeah. It's of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, 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 came out in 2019 please. and later, right? It's like. I'll, 
we're not I'll, thinking well, of some we'll superhero character that has five letters in his name. Sorry to interrupt you, Cody. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. I've I've been talking a lot the last uh, twenty eight minutes, so that's like very, very okay. Pixar. Yeah, there's got to be so many Pixar movies. Wait a minute. There's got to no, be so think... many other Pixar or like uh, uh, DreamWorks movies with just oh, five DreamWorks, letters. You say Shrek DreamWorks? You say DreamWorks would be fascinating. Shrek one, two, three. Well, no, that doesn't I, I will now Shrek. Yes. In, okay, yeah, I will ahead. now in in uh, from ten to one read off the full list um, of of the most popular. Films on Letterboxd that have um, five letter that are five letters long in the title. Crack, Swing of the Bat, Home Run. That's me. Um, number 10, Venom. Number 9, Moana. Disney's Moana. Oh. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Moana. Never um, seen Number it. 8, DreamWork Animation's Shrek. That is Shrek. Uh, number 7, Fargo. Number 6, Alien. Fuck! Alien. Oh, Number five, number five, we've got Logan. Hmm. Logan. Number Logan four. Logan has more logs on Letterboxd than Alien does. Zoomers, man. Go this figure, is a sick yeah. world we're living in. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, real sick, um, especially when we look at the number one spot. Uh, four, we've got Wally. And I think in my Googling around, because I did remember I looked through this, I wanted to get verification. I think I did see some formatting that was just like Wall and then capital E. Uh. Should have gone by empirical Letterboxd rules. I accept that that was a miscue on my part. We grow. Um, the rightful winner won anyway, Cody. It's all wild. Number three. Yeah. Yeah. Number three. We've got Drive. Fuck. winning reference, Drive. I'm surprised Drive is so high up there. I guess oh, that fits in with the... Every single the, film so bad. that first day. <laughs> I mean, Fargo number, is seven. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of seven, number two is seven. Um, and I looked it up. <laughs> I did look through and verify this. The common stylization is S-E number seven E-N. Uh-huh. The official name is just the written out word seven. Um, people like fun stylizations, which, and that didn't play a role in this at all, it, it seems. But number one, um, pretty twist that, that it was up this far, but Joker. Um, Joker. Oh, yeah. number one. Joker. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. seems Joker obvious 20. in hindsight. I should have thought yeah. of it. Yeah. Wow, um, I'm real dumb. Yeah, that, that was a, a wild ride. Thank you for joining us on the Trial of Game Show Network for Trial of Wordle with a splash of Trial of Feud. Um, I believe the floor is Harry's now. Harry, um, would you like to, to pop off at all? Listen, man, I'm. am I going to talk about how they tried to bring me down with technicalities? They, they tried to team up against me. They tried everything. They tried to copy my answers. They tried everything they could to bring me down, but I still came out on top. No, I'm not going to talk about that because I'm a graceful winner. So uh, that's just to say you all know who the champion is. That's right. It's Mackin season. We're back at it. See you next week. Well, I don't uh, normally I'd say thank you, Cody here, but Cody wasn't the last one to speak. So this has been. You can thank me. It's okay. Another episode. Alien. I'm never going to live down for getting fucking alien. It's literally first letter of the alphabet, five letters, one of the most popular movies of all time and a movie we've recorded on. Jesus yeah, fucking Yeah, we never Christ. shut the fuck up about that. We never shut the we fuck bring up, up about like every alien. episode. Surprise, Ponyo Jesus didn't Christ. make the top ten. <laughs> Not as surprised as I am that Super didn't crack the top ten. 
this has been an episode of Try Love. Um, this is a film, sorry, Laura, that just played at the Trilon uh, as part of their Murder She Wrote series. Go check it out at trilon.org and maybe get tickets. Uh, maybe get tickets and then see it on streaming if you can. Trilon is open for business as of this recording, um, but if you're not comfortable going, uh, find ways to support them anyway. A lot of cool ways to figure that out at trilon.org. Wherever you go, whatever you do, um, please wear a mask, uh, maybe wear two, and be safe be careful uh my name is jason daphnis you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus oh this is our podcast it's called trilove podcast uh on twitter and it's uh, uh oh the, the trilon you can find them at trilon cinema and trilon.org god this is i'm i'm just when i'm not wearing the crown my mind doesn't work right it's something about my brain waves bending the wrong way um jason nintendoofus uh somebody else take it away from me uh shatapui i've been cody narvison you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh I've been Harry Mackin, your once and future champion. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Thank you. My name's Aaron. Find me on Twitter at Arby Place. Anyway, he's better for you than Shelby. Anybody is. Shelby's better for me because I can afford him and I understand him. He's no good, but he's what I want. I'm not a nice person, Laura. Neither is he. He knows I know he's just what he is. He also knows that I don't care. We belong together because we're both weak and can't seem to help it. That's why I know he's capable of murder. He's like me. No, dear, I didn't. But I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs>